Hi, my name is Josh, by the way. Thank you. Welcome for, like, welcome for being here. Welcome to Resonate. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm Josh. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time, I'm like so excited that you're here. And you're actually here on a really, really cool week. Uh, this is the beginning of part three of our series, which is Resonate in three parts. So we wanted to do uh, who we are, basically unpack our DNA over this like, new year. So we started in January, and we did part one which was all about what it means to be a people that don't have it figured all out and how that's actually biblical and how that's an okay thing and an okay stance to take um, and how we're actually kind of called to live that way. And then uh, the second part was for the people that hated part one and that was all the things we do have figured out. <laughs> so we did all the things that we have figured out uh, and that was really cool. We talked about goodness, kindness, uh, faithfulness, and, and last week, kingdom. And that kingdom element, that thing that we talked about last week, this good news, this kingdom of God, that's going to carry us into our part three. And our part three is going to last longer. So each of the other ones was a month long. We did January and February. And this one is going to take us all the way into Easter. So for the next five weeks after this, we're going to keep on this track. And part three is all about no matter who you are. And uh, this morning, we're going to launch into that. I'm so excited. This has been like the, the, probably the thing that I've been most excited to preach about is in this section. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited for our time. We're going to read some scripture. And we're going to dive right in here. So... Uh, the words are going to be back here. This is out of Luke 14, 15 through 23, and this will get us started uh, for this morning. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man, and this is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and what that's like. So Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first told him, I bought a farm and must go see to it. Please excuse me. That's a very big excuse. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen. I'm going to go check on them. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And then he returned. Uh, when, when he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house uh, became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones, and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, go to the highways and the back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. So we're going to unpack this this morning, but let's pray before we do that. Cool? Uh, God, I, I'm just so grateful uh, to be talking on a subject that's so near and dear uh, to my heart and uh, so near and dear to the DNA of Resonate and who we are. And so uh, this morning, as we just talk about what it means to be a place that truly uh, embraces people, just the same way that that uh, host just went, like, I don't care, bring them all in. Get the, the, the sick, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the people that need it the most. Let's pull these people into this feast, uh, into the table, and into our home. And so uh, I just pray over this community, over this church, that you would make us a church that looks like that. Amen. Uh, so I used to work in music production, and actually I used to work in like R&B and hip-hop, because obviously that's what I look like. Um, but it was, it was a total accident. So what happened was like I, I was an artist, and I had a producer, and the producer really liked some of the ways that I was writing things, and so he would just keep using me on projects and projects, and it eventually just became that like I was working with him. Um, and he was a bit of a, there, I have tons of these producer stories because he was a, like, he was a firecracker um, and I followed him around for two years. And it, some of the craziest things and some of the most hilarious stories, including this one that I'm going to tell you happened in this packed two years. So during this two year uh, failed career of mine, I did a, uh, a movie, which sounds really cool until you uh, unpack that a little bit. It was a vampire musical uh, entitled Vane. 
And it wasn't supposed to be a musical. At first, we were like scoring the soundtrack, and then this is a diet chain that was making this movie, by the way, too. I don't. It was yeah, very weird. But and, and so it wasn't supposed to be a musical. It was just supposed to be like this. Like we were scoring it, and then all of a sudden they came in one day and they're like, actually, we want to sing these songs in the movie, so it's going to be a musical. And at that point, we were both like, I think we're out. <laughs> uh, so. That, and then uh, there was a number 28 hit in Germany by Fabian Bush entitled Turn Off the Lights. Uh, I can shoot you all this stuff. So it was a weird two years of my life. Um, but anyway, so this is really early on in this scenario, and I'm trying to do everything I can to get on the good side of this producer, uh, because this was uh, like my first real job in music, and so I was really excited to be doing it. Um, and uh, so he calls me, and, and it's like 8 p.m. Uh, on like a Wednesday night. I'm in my like t-shirt shorts and my sandals, which were a go-to for uh, early 2000s Josh, sandals all the time. Um, so uh, I'm sitting there, it's 8 p.m. and he calls me and he's like, hey man, uh, I'm in Vegas and you need to come meet me here because there's some producers I want you to meet and we should be networking with. And I was like, oh, okay, so like tomorrow? He's like, no, right now I'm emailing you a ticket, you're gonna hop on a plane and come here. It's eight o'clock at night and I was doing like homework. I'm still in college at this point, so I was like, uh, okay. So I hop in uh, a cab, this is before Uber or anything like that, and I shove in a backpack a toothbrush and my only suit that I own, which is an H&M suit from one of my buddy's weddings, and I like cram it into a backpack, throw it in, and I'm like rushing out the door, I gotta make this flight at 11. I land in Vegas uh, at about like 11.45. I've never hailed a cab before or done anything like that, so this is a huge adventure for me. So I get a cab and we hit traffic that you would only hit at 11.45 in Vegas. Uh, and we get to this club, uh, which, again, I'm not really the club type, so this was an interesting experience for me. We get to this club, and I, I arrive, and I get out of the cab, and I see that the line for this thing is like a block long, and all of these people look way cooler than I do. <laughs> and on top of that, I, I quickly and swiftly realized that I'd forgotten something, and it just so happened to be that backpack. I changed in the cab, and so I, I put my suit on and then put everything else back in the backpack, and I look behind me, and there's the cab, like, turning the corner, like, getting out of my view watching my stuff go away. So I'm like, onward, here we go. So I, I go and, and the producer had said, don't bother with the line, just go to the front. Your name is gonna be on a list. And I thought that was ridiculous, there was no way that could happen. So I did what any reasonable person who just flew to Vegas on a whim does and I got in the back of the line. And so I walked all the way around, got in the back of the line and then I get a call from this producer and he says, no, you seriously have to go to the front and just ask them. So I sort of like meekishly like I don't know, pop out and get to the front of the line and everyone is staring at me at this point and I thought it was like because maybe I was cutting and they were like kind of mad uh, and I didn't understand why people were staring at me but I, I, walk, I keep walking onward, onward and get to the front and say my name is on the list, still the most pretentious thing I've ever said in my life um, and the guy goes like, oh yeah, okay, your name is on the list and I take one step in and he goes, oh, no way and I was like, what, my name's not on the list, you know, like kind of like really jarred and freaked out and he points down to my feet, and it turns out that I paired my one and only H&M suit with my rainbow sandals. So my shoes were in the cab way away, and it wasn't exactly something I could get into, so uh, I was rejected from the club, and I just waited for the producer to leave it. Uh, that brings us to part three. Everyone is welcome. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's really clear to me when I read that uh, scripture that we read at the beginning that this is a kingdom that is uh, available and open to everyone. And if it's a kingdom that's available and open to anyone, then the churches that we, we embody, and especially in this space, uh, we have to be a place that longs to fill all those seats at the table. And this includes a radical notion of inclusivity and not exclusivity. Uh, in all, parts, all three parts of this series, we've been unpacking what it means to call Resonate home. 
And this is a brand new church, and one of the best things we can do is just lay our cards out on the table and explain exactly who we are. And I want to really enforce this idea. We didn't come up with this stuff in a vacuum. So when we planned on, on launching Resonate in the fall, uh, we sent a strategy team out, and the strategy team came up with all of these different questions. And we said, what, it, what would it look like to meet with like, our friends and, and, and people we know that are really far from the church, that would never come into a church, or that have been at church for years? And maybe they've been at church a year, for years and it burned them really badly, and so now they're no longer at church. And so we went out with these questions, and we talked to our friends and our family and uh, just some of these people, and we began to form the ethos of what is Resonate based upon these questions. And one of the major themes that we found when we were out talking with people and listening to the community is that a lot of these friends that we had simply said, like, this is a, a, a sentence we heard over and over and over again. It was like, I don't know if I would really feel welcomed in a church. And that just broke my heart. Like, I don't think I really feel welcomed in church. Um, and so, even worse, I mean, some of them were even made, made to feel unwelcome in a church. And this isn't a singular event either. Like, American evangelical Christianity is shrinking rapidly. You can read poll reports on this, Pew reports, everything is like going, like the graphs are not looking too hot <laughs> for the American church. Uh, and they keep just scratching their heads and wondering why. And whenever I am asked by a leader uh, how, so like, in this space, uh, we're kind of like, like a young church. And so they're like, well, how are you attracting young people? And then I have to kind of like pause and go like, what are you saying? Um, but my main response is like, actually, that, that language and that question, isn't, it just isn't relevant anymore. Because we're not trying to attract people. We're trying to create a transparent space where we can grow in our faith and be who we are. And if that's attractive, then that's just sort of a byproduct of what we're doing. Uh, and so I want, right from the get-go here, I want to make sure you guys got to understand that this is not going to be a cynical message, because <laughs> it's really easy to go down the cynical path. I want to focus on hope, because that's the reason that Resonate was started in the first place. It was out of a hope for what church could really be, a place for people to explore faith, we're moving towards Jesus, and more importantly, where ev everyone is welcome. And that's just church. But it's also extremely uncomfortable. So Broad Street Ministries is this, this church in Philadelphia uh, it's one of the coolest things I've, I've ever been able to experience. Broad Street itself uh, is probably a church a little bit bigger than this, so it's not this big, but they meet in this massive old-school cathedral in Philadelphia. Uh, and at first glance, you're just there on a Sunday morning, and you're like, why do they have this massive space for the amount of people who are showing up here on a Sunday morning? But the thing about Broad Street is it's not just a church. It's also a ministry that has transformed the way uh, that even the city of Philadelphia uh, deals with and helps uh, their citizens that are experiencing homelessness. So they literally changed the game. So there might just be like a, like 100 or so people in the church, but thousands of people come through for all the services and, and things that they do for the homeless community there. It's a really special and incredible place. And I, I was lucky enough to be able to meet uh, with one of these leaders at like this church planting cohort thing I went to over the summer. And there's a group of us there, and he kind of just like, to start his like brief talk, he, he opens up and he says, hey, okay, raise your hand if you've ever lived in true diversity. And, you know, all of us, like, like hipster church planners are like, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, no, no, no. He goes, no, like, wanting to tear your hair out awfully hard, like, super annoying diversity. You'd know if you'd really been in it because it would have nearly killed you, but that is where the kingdom of God lies. And it just hit us all like, whoa. <laughs> that is where the kingdom of God lies. But I think we tend to shy away 
from that uncomfortableness. We tend to shy away from uncomfortable things in church when the reality is this should be the place where we get into it. We have to embrace things and people in a new way, and that's going to be rough. And the church at large has actually struggled this from the very beginning. So I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here, so hang with me. This is really, really important to see. This comes out of Acts, which is a book that's all about how the church began. And so as we look at this, like, it's a really cool picture for us to see. Like, we're just beginning. This is Acts. It's a, it's a, it's a good place for us to start. Uh, and this is about Peter. And I'll kind of explain this as it goes, but the, the words will be behind you. Um, it says, The news traveled fast, and in no time the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. So I want to pause right there because that's super confusing. Why are adults like, confused about circumcision? That's not normal. Uh, so at this time in history, the, the Gentiles and the Jews uh, were not really, like, to be a Christian meant that you were also a Jew. So you would have to convert to Judaism and then also follow this Christ fellow. And there were these other Gentiles we're going to talk about in a while who were called God-fearers, and so they would, they would practice in the temple, but only so far. Like, if they really wanted to become fully Jewish and wanted to convert to Judaism, for males, circumcision was, uh, was an actual like, need. You had to do it. As you can imagine, that kept a lot of people away. Um, <laughs> but it was a huge crippling issue when it came to the politics of the early church. Like, who's in and who's out? And Peter, and, and he's going to recap exactly what happened, but in the beginning here, we're seeing that he's being called to task for something that he did. And what he did was go and eat at a Gentile's house and proclaim, like, the Holy Spirit is here too. Like, this is the church too. But right now, he's getting berated. So this is like a group of people pulling Peter aside, hearing about what he did, saying, what are you doing? In fact, they called him on the carpet and they said, what do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited, and ruining our good name? So Peter, starting from the beginning laid it out for them step by step. And this is where we're going to hear what happened. He said, Recently I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision, something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners. Uh, it came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me. Milling around on the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it. It was there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice. I said, Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. Vegetarians in the room, I'm very sorry. Uh, I said, oh no, master, I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. The, vo the voice spoke again and said, if God says it's okay, it's okay. If God says it's okay, it's okay. And this happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then, three men showed up to the house uh, where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to, to get me. The spirit told me to go with them, no questions asked. So I went with them, I and six friends, to the man who had sent for me. He told us how he had seen an angel right in his own house, real as his next-door neighbor, saying, send to Joppa and get Simon, and that they, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life, in fact, you and everyone you care for. I started in talking. This is the most important part. I started in talking, but before I had spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us for the first time. I remember Jesus' words, John baptized with water, you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believe the Master Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, and this is crazy, this never happens in, in community and especially in church, <laughs> hearing it laid out like that, they quieted down 
And as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through to other nations and opened them up to life. So I like focus on that last sentence. It's really happened. God has broken through to other nations and opened them up to life. So there's a ton to digest in there. I, know, I realize that was very long, but stick with me here because this is really, really important. First, let's talk about Acts. So Acts is this book of the Bible uh, all about how the church begins. Jesus ascends, so he's, he dies and he rises again, and then they said that there's like 40 days where he's hanging with his followers, and then he ascends. And as he ascends, which means like he like sort of floats up, as he ascends, he uh, actually gives one final directive to all the people that were following him, all of his disciples. He says, go to all corners of the earth and share this good news. Go to all corners of the earth and proclaim the gospel. Go to all corners of the earth and make disciples. Like, this is his last thing. It's a pretty big deal. And so this passage actually happens about 10 years after that directive, and they're still only about 30 miles from home. So they're still trying to figure all this out. But geographically, that's not even the point. Like the fact that they were just 30 miles, what God, what Jesus is saying to them when he says, go to all corners of the earth, in this tribal society that is still very separated, you would have to travel great distances to encounter people that didn't look like you, act like you, and, and do the same things that you were doing. You'd have to travel way out of the way to find people uh, that were different than yourself. So what Jesus really isn't looking, he's not looking for distance, he's looking for diversity. His call to go to all corners of the earth meant this news was for all people. And side note here, this is really cool. If you think about that in that way, like that's the, that was the avenue that they could get to the other people. If you think about that in our global culture now, like in a city like Los Angeles where there are so many different cultures melting side by side, I think Jesus' directive would have like not go to all corners, but just go outside. <laughs> this city is, is, is so amazingly diverse. And, and our ability to walk out and, and do what Jesus has commanded is extremely simple in a place like this, and yet we miss it so often. All right, so all of a sudden we get a little gas thrown on the fire. So it's been 10 years, they're only 30 miles out. Um, and uh, at this point, the church was really only for the Jews. We have to keep that in mind. This is like a Jewish movement. It's happening in the Jewish culture. The, the Samaritans have been brought into this, which is a huge deal. So two chapters before this, the Samaritans and Chris spoke, I think, on the Good Samaritan and how that, that, that dichotomy worked. Like, the Samaritans were some of the most hated people. So first we have the Samaritans, right? Uh, and then we have everybody else. So the lines between the Christ followers and the normal Jews were really blurred. Jesus' followers would still worship in the synagogues and, more importantly, in the temple in Jerusalem, but they were actually carafed into their own little section. So if you were, uh, if you were a non-Jew and you walked in and wanted to worship in the temple, you were allowed to do that, but only so far. You were sort of a second-class citizen within the temple. So you had to do so within the court of Gentiles. So they had a specific space for you. And you were not allowed to make sacrifices, uh, but you could kind of participate in, in everything else. Um, the man who sends for Peter is one of these God-fears, one of these people who's a non-Jew but is, is like actively pursuing God. A righteous and good man who loved God in the eyes uh, of the Jews, but in the eyes of the Jews in the church at that time, he was not fully embraced and loved. This should start sounding familiar. So Peter has this very strange dream involving animals that were not kosher. Uh, one of those animals would have included this guy right here. Uh, so we can see how the gospel moves with delicious pork. Um, but his directive is not, like, is not because of the non-kosher food. The significance 
uh, is way bigger than that. God says, I've made this clean. So for the first time, this, this guy, Peter, who literally would have grown up with an understanding of what it meant to be a good Jewish person, and that included eating things that were, like, not eating things that were unkosher, right? And what God is laying out right here is he's saying, like, no, 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 I've made this clean. And if God says it's okay, it's okay. This is a huge mental shift for Peter, right? He's like, wait, what? Everything I've been taught since a young child, like, I'm now, this is fair game. And that leads me to a special question for this morning, and I, I really want to unpack this and, and dive into this. I'm interested, and it was like really interesting for me to research this this week. Like, I'm interested in how we change our minds. Most of us in this room have had some sort of a profound uh, moment with this God thing, right? So we changed our mind, and, and we decided to follow Jesus or God. You know, we experienced a change of mind and a change of heart, and so I was really interested in watching Peter's journey from saying like, okay, it's, this is only for the Jews, to now it's for the Gentiles. What happened to take him from here to here? And this is, this is really important, this is what happened. For him it was this dream, right? He had the dream, so he's prompted by God, and then he goes into the house of the Gentile, which is a huge cultural deal, and he goes and he eats with them. So he's, he's prompted by God, he's surrounded by the others, and he sees God at work there. So prompted by God, surrounded by the others, and he sees God working there. So let's, let's take the God portion out of that and just kind of think about how we change our minds in general, right? A lot of times when we change our mind on something, we thought it's this, this way, it's this way, it's this way for so long. It's because we start getting pulled by something, right? So something begins to like creep up in us, and we're like, man, I'm just kind of itchy on this. I don't know why. So we research. So we're being pulled by something, and then we do some research on it. Right? Or we surround ourselves with the issue and we get in relationship with people or we get in relationship with that issue. And then here's what oftentimes happens. Once we change our mind, we kind of realize that God was at work there the whole time. Or to take God out of it again, we kind of realize that there were people and this idea was here the entire time and I'm just now getting to it. Right? So if we change our mind in a God way. We are prompted by God. That's that thing pulling at us. And then... God surrounds us with those people. We have to go and be a part of, of those diverse cultures, of those different things. When we seep ourselves in diversity, that is when we get to see God's working over here, and am I, I'm beginning to align with these people that I know nothing about, or that five minutes ago I knew nothing about. Now, all of a sudden, their stories and their struggles and their problems, I get it, because I'm in relationship with them. If I'm not in relationship with them, I'm not going to get it. So, God makes it really clear here to Peter. He says, I'm prompting you. I'm going to give you this crazy, weird dream. And then I want you to follow these people into an unknown territory, into an unknown home. We talked about this before, but that's that idea that God keeps coming back to you about being a guest rather than a host. Peter has to step into this new, scary environment, and he knows he's going to get flacked for it. He knows he's going to be called to task because this is something that's a little farther along than all the other people are used to or feel safe with. So at, the church really gets this mixed up a lot, right? We invite people in, come in, come into what we're doing, change your ways and be just like us, but we're not going out. And that's why I love our infographic. Do we have that again, Sean? I know it's backtracking. Nope, we can imagine it. <laughs> I think we've all seen it enough. Uh, but the arrows out, that, that literally is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be here for like 
Sunday morning, and then we're out in the community dealing with life and being in relationship with other people. Because the only way that we're going to change people's hearts and minds is being in relationship with them. And I guarantee if you do that, it's not that we're going to change their mind and heart so much as they're going to change ours. And real relationship and love is going to move forward. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the space that we meet in. Um, and then there's a story about Jesus, and then we'll close, because we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Um, this is a really like special space. I don't know if you guys know much about highways. Highways is an alternative theater space, so there's all sorts of stuff hiding in here. Like, <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a space that'll pretty much put on anything. Like when I we first got into this building, I met with the tech director because he wanted to see like what our needs were, and I was like, we're really simple. We'll probably just need a couple mics, and you know, besides like all the pyrotechnics we do on Sunday morning, <laughs> he did not laugh. Uh, <laughs> he just sort of stared at me, and he was like well, if you're going to do that, we're going to need this, this, and this. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I was kidding. He's like, oh, I don't think you know the stuff we do here. <laughs> and then I went on the website, and man, like, they blow stuff up in here. So the takeaway for that is if we ever want to blow something up in here, we're good to go. I think maybe Easter in the cave or whatever, we could do something like that. Um, but I, I wanted to learn more about this space. So I've been, I've been getting to know Leo, who's sort of, you, you've probably seen him floating around here. He's uh, like our landlord, but he also runs highways. He's also responsible for that art installation over there. He's an artist. He's just this like off the charts, like cool guy. And uh, he invited Chelsea and I to actually come to the opening of that. And if you've seen that art, uh, the room looked a lot similar. <laughs> so it was, it was electric in here. Uh, we walked in and there was like a piano player over there and musicians going and live performance in here. And there was a video screen and things were going crazy. And, uh, and it just, it, it felt like this huge, vibrant community. The door was open. People were flooding out into the thing. And I was like, wow, this place is so cool. And I said hi to Leo, and you know, like in that typical, like you, he can give you like two minutes because he's got like 300 people uh, that all want to vie for his attention. So he, he talks and he introduced me to this friend. He's like, this is my friend. He's been performing here for 25 years, and then he's out. So then you're stuck with a friend that you don't know. So we talked with this friend who's been performing here for 25 years, and so I'm trying to make small talk and get to know this guy. And I asked him, like, well, what was it like 25 years ago here? Like, what's it been like performing here? And specifically when this place got started, what was it like? He just like kind of, it took a real dark turn real quick, but he, <laughs> he got a little solemn and then he pointed at the floor and he said, this is what it was like. And it got real heavy between us. I, I don't know if you guys know this, in the floor over here, the floor in the other room, uh, there are names of people who were victims of AIDS in, in like the worst outbreak uh, this nation has ever seen in like the mid to late 80s. And all of the names are people that these people knew who were victims of that terrible disease. And uh, he just kind of looked and he said, yeah, I know, I know a lot of these people. And that was what it was like. This place was a refuge. It was a safe haven. It was a place that we could come to mourn. And I just started thinking about that over and over again. And I was like, here's this, this LGBTQ community that is being vilified at this point for this disease. And this is a space that they could come to and they weren't like berated, they weren't like, they weren't vilified. They could feel at home. It was not only a safe space, but it was a place of mourning. They could write these names down, create this installation, this monument, and mourn like that. And in that moment, talking with Leo's friend, I don't remember his name because I'm an awful person, talking with Leo's friend, I realized, like, who's being a better church? And that really, really hit me. Who's being a better church? Is it, is it a place where you can come and find refuge from the crazy things of this world and heal together and create monuments like that? Or is it a place that we dress up our best and we sing oceans? I was really, really struck 
with the idea that the church needs to be a safe space where we can explore our faith, and no matter who we are, we can come in here and be fully embraced. I think that was huge for me in thinking that. And it really all comes down to this table right here. So this is where we take communion. This is where we partake in sort of the, the biggest ritual that we do as a church. Uh, this is also a table that has caused enormous amounts of pain in other situations and in other churches. This is a place where people are denied a lot of the time based on gender, based on the clothes that you wear, based on who you are, based on your membership, based on all of that stuff. And so on October 2nd when we launched and I walked over to this table and proclaimed that this is a space for everyone, I got downright emotional because it's rare. We don't have anyone serving communion. That's another big thing. You take it and you do it. Because in other places, you, there's certain qualifications you have to meet to serve communion, and we just don't think that that's what, something we want to be a part of. So this space is open for everyone. And there's actually, like, in the story of the Last Supper, there's this big glaring white elephant in the room that I'm shocked we don't talk about more. And this week, as I was, like, studying this and reading this, I was really blown away uh, by just how welcoming that table is supposed to be. Uh, the Last Supper is this uh, thing we talk about a lot in church. It's where we get communion, the Eucharist, it's the first expression of that. God just basically outlines, he knows, like, this is his last meal with his followers. It's, like, electrically charged and emotionally charged because they know what's going to happen. Uh, but here's something really interesting that, I don't know, I've never, I've never talked on before, and I don't hear a lot of people talk about. But at the beginning of this meal, uh, he's got all the disciples there, and he doesn't just lead in with, like, this beautiful, here's my body broken for you, here's my blood poured out for you. He actually, like, starts out the entire meal uh, by saying, like, someone at this table is going to betray me. <laughs> it's a really w good way to start a dinner. Uh, and he says, it's he who dips his hand in the bowl. And so that's, that's obviously Judas. That's another big question. Why did he stick his hand in the bowl after that? I'd be, like, avoiding that bowl. But anyway, uh, it's obviously Judas. They know it's Judas. This is insane. You're sitting in that tension. You know that, like, this person that you've been journeying with, this other fellow disciple, is going to betray Jesus, but he allows that tension in that space. Even more than that, as he describes communion, they take communion for the first time, and he says, this is what you're going to do to remember me. Do this often. This is going to be like the most important thing you do when you gather. Judas is still at that table. One, I'm not sure why Judas didn't just leave. Kind of awkward. But two, that's the kind of radical acceptance and love. Jesus, this person that's going to portray him and hand him over to death, he literally has a seat at that table. And we kind of brush past that a lot in church, but that's, that's the really strange, crazy love of Jesus. That's the radical openness of Jesus to sit at that table and to go like, yeah, you're going to uh, be responsible for my death, but you're still here, and I love you, and I want you to partake in this meal. I want you to be a part of this. So this morning as we approach this table, I know we do this every week because it's that important, but when we do it every week, it kind of becomes, it, it has the potential to become sort of a dead ritual, but that's never what I want communion to be in this space. Communion is this ultimate expression of God's love poured out for us, and so as we go and do this, we take it like very seriously, very joyfully, and I also want to make very, very clear, if, if you don't want to partake in that, do not feel the pressure to. You can stay seated and no one is going to care. Um, but this morning, if you do want to partake, you can come up, you can grab this, and you can uh, dip it in the cup, and we can remember what God has done for us. But um, let me pray for us just about being a loving community where everyone's welcome, and uh, we'll move on. God, I am so, so grateful for the fact that, uh, that what we do in church really does matter. I'm struck with the, 
idea that this angel shows up to this guy uh, and he's got an angel in front of him, but it still takes Peter coming in. So even though he's got this angel in front of him, it seems like he could ask him, well, what, what's Peter going to tell me? But the angel's job is not to do that. God leaves that up to the church. God leaves that up to Peter to come and share this good news in a place that they normally would not. So I pray over this space, God, would you just uh, create a community here where when people walk through the door, they understand that they are loved. And that, I just want to keep pounding into our hearts and our heads. Because it's going to be uncomfortable. True diversity is so uncomfortable, but it is where the kingdom of God is found. And so I'm thankful, I'm thankful for room of people who are brave enough to step into that. And I'm thankful uh, for your church and just what it does in the world. May we be the type of place uh, that's able to accomplish good news. Amen. So the front row can come up and then the second row.